Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? Let's get ready for prayer. Nine weeks away from our 252 Men's Weekend. If you're a man in here, shout yes. It's made for you. It's for you. It's going to help you become more than you are today, whether you're already fine like a glass of wine. Maybe you need to get unstuck. Whatever it is, it's for you. Come on, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you and praise you. I thank you for our amazing worship team and kids team and hosts and all the people who greed and everyone who does security and every person who does things behind the scenes. I thank you for them today. I, I thank you for a first-time guest checking out church, wondering about you. I thank you for every single person within the sound of my voice, those online right now, those on the, in the back and just curious, maybe searching, maybe saying, God, would you speak to me today? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to them today and I pray that you would take something of these moments and these messages and the people and all that we do across today. And I pray you'd infuse faith. I pray you'd infuse hope. I pray that we'd leave this place better and more in one wondrous of you, Father. Why don't we pray this prayer together? Say, Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. I declare today, by your grace, I can become all you desire. Let the blessing of heaven rest on my life, rest on my family, and help me be a blessing wherever I go. In Jesus' name, come on, a faith-filled church said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand one more time. Come on, let's lift him up. Praise God. All right, grab your seat. Tell the, turn to the person next to you and tell them they're good looking and people like them. Someone say wonder. Um, the first time I ever he held my children, there's this incredible wonder of a dad holding his son and two daughters for the very first time, a life giving birth to another life. It is wondrous. There's so many questions about it, like how are they going to be and what are they going to be like and all kinds of moments. Life has moments where it makes you kind of take your breath away and and be like, man, there's this wondrous thought about it. I was on the edge of New York City the other day. It was a beautiful day. It's Tuesday. And, and because it was so warm, lots of people were taking pictures and, and taking selfies and so forth. And isn't that the wonder of a big city? Like 8 million people in five boroughs and all the people and all the buildings and all the restaurants and even the, all the weird smells that happen in New York City. Years ago, my wife and I went on a Caribbean cruise. I, I, I think everyone should go on a cruise one time in their lifetime. If you've never gone, you should go. I've only gone on one. I'm always trying to get back there, though. <laughs> like an amazing resort, sports facility, 
restaurants, hotel that floats. But as you look out upon the waters and the incredible Caribbean waters, there's this wonder that can come over you. I don't know about you, but maybe it's a night somewhere away from the city lights and you look up and you see the wonder of the stars. Or maybe for you, the wonder was a moment where for the first time you fell in love. Isn't that amazing, amazing feeling? You're on the phone? No, you hang up. No, you. I just want to hear you breathe. Isn't it funny that so many of us can relate to that? Um, there's a wonder about it. I actually heard someone interesting, a, a scientist, talk about the, the fact if, if, if the chemicals and, and all the reactions that happen when two people fall in love, he, he said, if that didn't die down, we wouldn't get anything done. What is wonder? Wonder is a cause of astonishment or admiration. Life has wondrous moments, doesn't it? But it also has moments which can take the wonder away, the, the mundane of life. You're in a job that you hate or maybe pain came into your world at a certain stage and, and life can suck out the wonder. I was in Dunkin' Donuts just the other day and one of the guys was there behind me and someone asked him, hey, how you doing? He just said, oh, same crap, different day. He didn't say it that nice. And I was like, man, that guy's lost the wonder. Lost the wonder of life. Part of the journey of faith is actually to be captured by the wonder of God. We find this in Peter's life, the apostle. He's first a fisherman in Luke chapter 5. I pick up the story He's fishing, it's been all night, the, he hasn't caught anything, and he's probably tired and cold and frustrated, and Jesus comes on by and says, have you caught any fish? And they're like, no, none, Lord, and ask them to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, we've been fishing all night, and we're fishermen, this is kind of what we do, big guy. He's like, throw it over the other side, and they throw over the net on the other side, and, and fish literally fill the net so much so that they needed help from other boats, and all of a sudden, the wonder of Jesus had walked its way into Peter's life, and Peter's life is never, ever the same. He literally leaves his business, leaves his successful fishing business, and begins to follow a man that he's not even sure who the man is at this point of the game. And the wonder continues, and Jesus heals the sick, and Jesus raises the dead, he says to a dead man who's been dead for four days, simply says, Lazarus, come out. And some theologians say if he didn't say Lazarus, every person who'd ever died would have stepped out of tombs in that moment. But he says, Lazarus, come out. And the disciples are wondrous and enamored by Jesus, and so are the crowds. But there's one moment where I think they lose the wonder for a, a little while. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, 
be raised to life. And the apostle Peter, who's not the apostle yet, he rebukes Jesus, brings him aside, loses the wonder for a moment, and says, Jesus, this can never, never, this cannot happen to you, and rebukes him. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And I wondered to myself if he lost the wonder in that moment and thought to himself, why do I leave my fishing business again to be called Satan? <laughs> he begins to prophesy and foretell in amazing detail what's going to happen to him. And you may have heard the story so many times that we lose the wonder of the story. But understand this, that Jesus knew the city he would die in, who would kill him. But here's what's even strange as you look and stare at it a little bit longer he knew the type of death. Why is that unique? Because when someone is going to kill you days ahead, they don't tell you which way they're going to, is, is the, are you going to get a rope and put it around my neck? Are you going to push me off a building? Are you going to shoot me? Are you going to get an arrow? Are you, going to, are you going to poison me? He's like, no, they're going to crucify me. He knew the city, he knew the people, and he knew the how. And you all of a sudden go, man, Jesus, how did you know that? Matthew 26 verse 1 says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. And he says, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Verse 31, then Jesus told them, this very night you'll all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. You've got to understand, these are the 12 guys who've lived with him for three years. There's no one closer to him. And Jesus kind of ruins the dinner party that night and looks at everyone and just says, Oh, y'all, you fake friends. You're going to leave me. And they're like, Lord. No, 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 we literally will die for you. And Peter, who's a big mouth, looks up and is like, listen, everyone else might be a fake friend. But I'm the real deal. And Jesus has to even correct him even further and looks at him and says, tonight, this very night, verse 34, before the rooster crows, looks Peter in the eyes, I'm sure, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Everyone says, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. We're still in wonder of you, Jesus. But hours later, the guards show up with swords and spears. And, and I, I love Peter's passion. He gets a, 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 a knife out and he kind of attacks one of the guys. Well, he cuts off his ear. He's obviously not a trained warrior. He's a fisherman. you think he would have got a little fishing rod. <laughs> Get in the ear with a hook. Jesus heals the man's ear, and listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Listen to how he describes what must happen. Do you think, Peter, I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Verse 56 says this, but this has taken place, someone say this has taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled, then all the disciples, they desert him and they flee. Hours before, 
Jesus will die for you. Hours later, tonight's a bad day. I said I was going to die, but you know what? That's a football game to watch, people. I need to watch my team, if you know what I mean. I need to change colors. And all of a sudden, their wonder had been lost. But as you stare at the life of Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus, and even the trial of Jesus, you start to wonder more because he begins to be asked question after question. Matthew chapter 27, verse 14. But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. The governor looks at him, and he knows he's seen guys die death after death, and he knows that they often stand before him and say, listen, I didn't do it, it was someone else, and Jesus just stands there and says nothing. This is unique in the life of Jesus, because every other time when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him with questions, he answered them, and they walked away in wonder because they didn't know how he had those answers. There is this wonder to Jesus in his teachings, but there is this wonder to Jesus even in his death. John 19 gives us a little more detail. Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Verse 11, Jesus answered, the longer I think about this answer, the more I am sure it sounds like he's from another world. And he says this, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate is like wondering, what does he do with this guy? See, the longer you stare, let me give you a long quote. You okay with a long quote? Okay, the note takers, you're ready. The longer you stare at his response to his accusers, his foreknowledge of his betrayal, his followers deserting him, his arrest, the type of death he would die, and how he died, the more you see the wonder of the king. Um, you ever been to a gender reveal party? This got really popular recently. I was at a gender reveal party recently. How many of you have been to a gender reveal party? You're like, yeah, 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 we still believe in genders, that's right. Um, <laughs> amen, amen. Well, hit a chord there. Anyway, I was going to say something I shouldn't. <laughs> we had this gender reveal party, and, and you had to choose. Is it a boy or is it a girl? And you get, everyone gets a sticker, and you're kind of guessing, right? And you're, you're kind of hoping, you know, you got a 50% chance. I mean, it's pretty likely you're going to get it right. But we got a sticker, and the end of the night, they bring out the balloons, and we find out it's going to be a boy, and then all the people start getting real prophetic who got it right. They're like, I had a feeling. <laughs> you know, when I walked in tonight and I saw you walk that certain way, I was like, huh, it's a boy. Everyone gets real like spiritual the moment they get it right. And I feel like saying to them, you know it's 50% chance, Right? And everyone else who didn't get it right, they're like, oh, my prophetic powers are not as good as I thought. <laughs> you know, funny story, my, my wife, um, when she was pregnant with our second, um, I think it was about a month or two to go before she was actually going to give birth, and 
A, a woman come up to her at church on a Sunday and said, is it twins or triplets? How many know you shouldn't say that? Ever. Don't even say, are you pregnant? Don't even say that, especially if you're a guy. Like, are you pregnant? No. That's awkward. But this girl came up to her and said, is it twins or triplets? And my wife just feeling cheeky that day. Just looked at her and was like, triplets. And the two ladies walked away and the younger one said to the older one, I told you it was triplets. It was one. Let's just say we're not very good at guessing the future. If we were, how many of you would invest in a little more stock? What is incredible about the life of Jesus, not just the teachings of Jesus, not just the love of Jesus, not just the death of Jesus, is that both 1,500 years to 1,000 years to 500 years before Jesus ever shows up, there are intricate, detailed prophecies of a man that would come and that man had to fulfill every single one of these prophecies. Let me go through just a few of them. He had to be of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which discounts every single person in the world except if you're Jewish. He had to be of the lineage of Judah, which discounts 11 twelfths of the Jewish population immediately. He had to be of the lineage of King David, which discounts even more people. He had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to be um, raised in Nazareth. He had to, at one stage, come out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a man preaching in the desert, prophesied by Malachi and Isaiah. He would be described like this. He would have to teach and proclaim good news, heal the blind, heal the deaf, would be soft to the broken, would reveal the hearts of people. Here's what is a very detailed prophecy, Psalm 41 verse 9. His closest friends who broke bread with him would have to betray him. Fairly particular, a thousand years before he ever came. He would be betrayed by 30 silver coins, not 29 coins, not 31 coins, not 30 dollars, not 30 euros, not 30 drachma. 30 silver coins. He would be mocked in his death. He would have his hands and feet pierced, and that was the method of which he would die. Psalm 22, verse 16. What's incredible about this prophecy is that crucifixion is not even invented yet. It's invented about 100 years later by the Persians, and the Romans don't do this until maybe 700 years, 800 years later. He would have his hands and feet pierced, in his death, he would have to have his side pierced, but here's a funny one. He would have none of his bones broken, but he would have to be badly beaten. He would be numbered with the criminals. His garments would be gambled over, Psalm 22 says. He would be buried with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea, as a wealthy man, gave him his tomb. He would be rejected by his people, would be accepted by Gentiles, which is you and me unless you're Jewish would see no decay in his death. Watch this now. The same guy that had to be of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had to be of the line of Judah, had to be born in Bethlehem, had to be, had to be born and come out of Nazareth, had to have his hands and his feet pierced, had to be betrayed, 
Watch this now. He had to be preached among nations. And nations would actually put their hope in him. Are you starting to get this? I just showed you 26 moments where the Old Testament prophets would precisely write hundreds of years before Christ is ever born and it has to be the same person every single time. A mathematician did a study of the chances of one person fulfilling just eight of Jesus' prophecies. Can I have my fancy little bucket, Danny? How many appreciate Danny? Come here, Danny. I got a bucket from Lowe's. Actually, someone got it for me last night. In this bucket, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of black rocks. In here is one white rock. If I was to give Pastor Fernando over here this bucket, and he was to make sure the white little stone went into the middle, and he gave one of you a chance to pick out the white rock out of the hundreds of rocks in here, how many know that it probably would take quite a while and many choices for, for you to get it? Now, I have the ushers set up, and everyone's going to get a bucket of rocks. You ready, ushers? Actually, we're not going to do that at all. That would be really dumb and really take a long time. But I just want you to imagine for a moment that every single one of you got a bucket full of rocks, but there's only one, one rock. Not in every bucket, there's one rock in this whole room. And every single one of you in every single seat would have to hold a bucket. But guess what? That's still not enough to fulfill eight prophecies. Here's what's interesting. For one man to fulfill all the prophecies of Jesus, just eight, and theologians tell us there are over 300, and I just read to you about 26. For one person to do that in this room right now, we would have to fill the entire state of New Jersey with everyone sitting in a chair holding a bucket. And there's one white rock. And Katie gets to go around and choose among thousands upon thousands of auditoriums across the whole state. This white, this bucket. How much of a chance does she have? And then guess what? It gets even worse. The rocks have to go up to about, Pastor Steve told me, 64 feet across the entire state of New Jersey, and you got one chance to choose one rock to, for one man to fulfill eight prophecies. That's the likelihood of one man, by chance, fulfilling eight prophecies. I just read out 26 to you. Theologians tell us there are over 300 prophecies which Christ himself fulfilled, written 500 years to 1,000 years to 1,500 years before he was ever born, and you and I can't guess one baby right. <laughs> and we think we've got prophetic powers when we go to a baby shower, and we walk in and go, huh, it's a girl. Impress me when you guess every birth, every time, with every baby in the whole entire world. But here's what's interesting. Scripture gets it right over and over again, a thousand years before he has any control of what's happening. And here's what I believe, because all these prophecies don't matter 
unless the one big one comes to pass. Let me read it to you. Matthew 26, verse 32. And after I have risen. That's it. If Jesus doesn't come back from the dead, Christianity is dead. If Jesus doesn't come back, they go back to fishing. That's it. The party's over. If Jesus doesn't come back, they thought they'd put their hope in a king. But if he never comes back, he's a lunatic or a liar. But because he came back, let me say it again. Because he came back, because the king of kings came back as the resurrection and the life, that's what breathed life into these scared, scared, cowardly men. The cowardly men became strong men, stood up with their chest out and said, yeah, you might kill me, but I still believe in Jesus. Come on, I think it's worth a little bit more than that. Let's go. The disciples who doubted him, the same guys who deserted him, then even denied him, later proclaimed him. They don't get rich. They don't get powerful government positions. 11 out of the 12 die brutal deaths. But we are here today because something convinced scared cowardly men to get out of their room and start telling other people Jesus came back from the dead. The only explanation is they saw, felt, experienced the wonder of the King. Not only that, on the day of Pentecost, they saw, they felt the wonder of the Spirit. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, they didn't right away just go, all right, let me go tell someone. No, here's what's interesting. They didn't believe. Here's what the Bible says. Where's my scripture? Anyway, it's in there, trust me. When the ladies come back from the tomb and tell the disciples, that he's risen from the dead. You know what it says? They don't believe him, and here's what it says. It sounded like nonsense to them, and it sounded like fables. Then Jesus shows up another time. Thomas, put your finger in my hands and finger in my feet. Quit doubting and believe. I think Christianity can say to a lot of people, welcome to the doubters. Because the guys who actually made the church were scared and doubted a lot until Christ so convinced them. But then a fire came upon them. And then a new power lived in them. And out of that, they brought transformation to what you and I now know, the rest of the world. Come on, is there anyone in here today that believes that transformation that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead.
can live in you, can come upon you, can change you, can keep changing you, can give you power over sickness and power over sin and power to be different and bring transformation. Can I get an amen? See, the longer you stare at the impossibility of the prophecies that Christ fulfilled, the longer you stare at the love of God, the longer you stare and the longer I've stared at the language of Jesus when he's at his worst day, shows me time and time again that A, I'm not that good, and he is so unique among men that as he's being crucified, love is still pouring out. It still wows me today that as he's in utter pain, he looks across at a criminal and the criminal actually literally on his own admission says, I deserve death, but looks at Christ and says, Lord, nine words, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus looks at him, says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're dying on a cross. You're being crucified. How can you tell someone else today you'll be with me in paradise? You're dying, bro. Because he knew he'd be in paradise that day. I was in bed, I don't know, a couple of months ago and I was about to, I think I was sleeping. And I felt like this echo go off in my heart. Well, like the Lord spoke to me and says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And it just shocked me. I didn't hear an audible voice. I'm not talking about that. But in my spirit, I heard this. I am the resurrection and I am the life. That's why Christians don't fear death. That's why Christians can stand up against a culture that's gone mad. That's why Christians can love people that don't even like them at all. Because we serve the one who is the resurrection and the life. And I want to invite some of you who may be checking out church for the first time to go on a journey with us over this next month as we continue to talk on the wonder of the King. Because I've found in time that you and I get wowed and I get wowed by gadgets and gizmos and you ever get a pair of shoes and you're like loving the shoes? Two weeks later, you're like, uh, you got marks on your shoes. You ever get a new phone? Like, oh, I'll get a new phone. I'll get a new phone. Three weeks later, you don't care. Oh, yeah. Ever get a new car? Drive the car. Oh, it smells like a new car. It smells good. People ride in it. Six months later, you're like, oh, I can't wait for the new one. We get wooed. Sometimes by new inventions. But God says to some of you today, stop staring at things that are going to be junk in 10 years from now. Start staring at the one who the longer you stare, the more you'll have wonder. The more you'll have wonder. I've been serving Jesus since I was 18. And there's none like him. We live in a time of self-help gurus and if you can get people to help you 
cook better, dance better, do your money better, lose weight, go in ice bars, get up at three in the morning, just do crazy crap. <laughs> and they can tweak your life and change your life a little bit, but no one will change your life like Jesus. He'll forgive what you cannot forgive. He'll put hope where there has not been hope. He'll restore what you cannot restore. I'm not saying following Jesus is all flowers. No, sometimes it's trials. But even in the trials, He causes beauty to come out. He causes a greater faith to come out. This is the wonder of God. The wonder of Jesus. Let me read one last verse. John chapter 20, verse 30. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. Jesus performed many other signs. In the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book, He's like, I don't need to write them all. Verse 31, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God, and watch this now, and that by believing, you may have life. In His name. We sung about it. For some of you in a moment, it's time to receive it. There's no grandkids in the children of, in the kingdom of God. There's sons. There's daughters. You might be here and your mother or your father or uncle has faith, but you have not connected to it personally yourself. Maybe you're young and eight and nine, or maybe you're 88. It doesn't matter. Do you have life in His name? All across this place, would you close your eyes? I'm gonna ask some people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. The prophecies answer. The science crowd, the math crowd, but more than anything else, faith comes like a child when we simply believe. He looked at his disciples and said, stop doubting, believe. Maybe you're in this place and you've not accepted Christ. I wanna give you an invitation in a moment. We're gonna pray a prayer as a church family and that simple prayer can be the moment when you crossed over from, made, made in the image of God but disconnected from God to now a child of God. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead. It says you shall be saved. What does that mean? It means you shall be forgiven. Shall be put right with God. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Scripture says, whosoever, that's you, that's me, boy or girl, old or young, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call upon Him is to cry out from the depth of your heart. I want to pray a simple prayer and let that prayer be a call of the heart, a cry of the heart. Jesus to forgive you and save you, to forgive you.
all across this place with eyes closed. Can we pray this simple prayer? Say, dear Jesus, today I declare, I believe, I ask you, forgive my sin, come into my life, be my Savior, be my Lord, my very best friend, change my life from this day on, help me walk with you, help me know you. Help me hear your voice. I decide to follow you today. With eyes closed all across this place, I'm going to ask those people who met business with God in this place, maybe it's the very first time you've never done that before, you're saying yes to Christ, or you know you're far away from God and you know you need to come back to God, and this would be a moment where you raise your hand, but you don't just raise your hand, you decide and commit to plant yourself in the house of God so that you can not just confess with your mouth a follower of Jesus, but you can live it with your life as a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, all across this place, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, raise it up high, all across this place. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, those in the front there. Thank you, those in the middle there, and that one on there, that girl there, and those hands over there. Praise God for you. Just raise up long enough and high enough for me to see it. Those in the balcony today, God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for lots of hands going up in the balcony. Praise God for you. Those in the back and in the front, you can put your hand down. Father, you see every hand, you see every heart. In the name of Jesus, plant them in your purpose, I pray. Touch their lives where they need it. Heal them where they need it. Let them leave this place with faith, hope, and love, I now I just want to pray for every single person. You know you're a Christian. Would we pray this simple prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, help me carry the fire of your presence. Wherever I go, send a great revival to New Jersey, to America, and across the world. Help me be part of that. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, if you receive God's word today, we give the Lord a hand. Come on, in the house of God.